Hey everyone, you're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be diving into what's top of mind for us right now, where we'll talk about the most timely and relevant topics that are probably on the minds of a lot of people out there in the HR world. Hope you enjoy. MPL family, stop what you're doing and take five seconds to go subscribe to the MPL Weekly Digest. Every week, we'll share the top three takeaways from the episode along with the full transcript. Just go to the show notes for this episode and click the link to subscribe. And now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of The Modern People Leader. This is our first group chat that we've done in a long time. I think the last one that we published was back in September. So super excited for today's chat. Um, Ciara, Marari, welcome back to the show. How have y'all been? I've been great. <laughs> busy, but good. How are you? Good. Same. Yeah, busy. I'd say that this week was a bit chaotic, but, um, you know, I'm alive. Uh, we're here talking to y'all, so can't <laughs> complain. <laughs> yeah, I, I would plus one uh, both of that. And I'm sure for many of you who are listening as well, especially with the type of work we do, we can have a, a big support group of lots of good things, lots of challenging things, hectic week. Everybody, I feel like, by the way, everyone is like, I cannot believe it's March. Like Seriously. 2023 is punching all of us in the face. It really yeah. is. I, feel yeah. it. <laughs> I I can't believe it's 2023. Like these right. last That's three it. years have just flown by. Yeah. Yeah. Plus one again to both of those statements. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's let's jump into let's jump into good news stories. And um, Marari, how about you get us started? Okay, um, I do love this part of the the your conversation. So my good news story is that my fundraising team, um, which actually is a pretty large team in comparison to the the headcount at CBC, has reached gender parity, and at multiple levels too. It's um, it was with good uh, collaboration and strategy and effort, but that's pretty big in our industry. So I'm I'm really proud of that, and I'm really happy about that. Yeah, that's huge. Congrats. That's incredible. Yeah. Steven, you want to go next? Sure. Uh, so we have been working for the product team in particular. I should give them the kudos at Workify has been working on a full rebuild of the tech stack and brand new version of Workify. We call it Workify X. And we just migrated our initial batch of clients. So kudos to the team on that. But feedback's been amazing so far. Personal good news, I, I co-parent, and so I usually only have my daughters would equate to like 37% of the time, so Thursdays and every other weekends, but uh, their mother's been traveling, so I've had my daughters for two weeks, and it's just been so amazing. It's just so nice to experience parenting like for larger chunks of time, and so I'm grateful. It's been a little stressful, and the timing, you know, it's never... <laughs> Timing is always a, a, a weird thing, but uh, it's been great. It's been a, a nice couple of weeks. You look very well rested for that last fact. <laughs> oh, <it's>, yeah, <laughs> yeah Steven's, Steven's got a lot of energy, so. <laughs> All right, CR. Boundless energy. Yeah. CR, you want to go next? Well, it's sunny in Paris. And for anyone who spends a lot of time here, sun is a rare thing in this city. So that's nice. And don't have something as big as Marari. So a little reticent to go after that. But 
We are on our fourth CEO, so my fourth manager while I've been at my current company, which includes one of our board members who filled in during a, a past search. And I'm really proud of my team of direct reports, um, three women who have been through all four of those changes with me. And I think so far we're adjusting really well. How do we stick to our core values, help everybody in the Dashlane community and the new leader who, who is joining? So definitely busy, but at this point we're becoming expert in it. I think, by the way, that's bigger than, than mine. That's really difficult to do. So I do think that that's actually really big news. Yeah, and shout- congrats. Good yeah, luck shout out to the Dashlane team. Congrats. All right, I'll go. I'll go last. So as a first time CEO of the Modern People Leader, this was like my first really challenging week. But while it was, you know, a tough week, it further solidified that this is what I want to be doing and what I should be doing. So I'll take, you know, all of the bad that that comes with running a business because I think that the the good that comes out of it outweighs it for me. So I was, you know, a little bit out of my groove for most of this week, but um, but I'm back. I'm back. Like I, I decided this morning, like, gotta just move past it and um gotta bring the energy back into the work I'm doing. So uh yeah, that's that's my good news. Nice. Well, I think uh, from all of our news, if it normalizes anything for those who are listening, if you feel like you're in over your head. How are things so hectic personally, professionally? Oh, these people I'm listening to on the podcast, it seems to flow so smoothly for all of them. Um, And it's a pleasure to get to do this conversation together with Marari. We met professionally, but we've also built a personal friendship over the past decade or so. And so we, we really know in detail about each other, know sometimes things feel like a total mess, but that doesn't mean that you can't still pull it off. So hopefully that's, that's helpful to everyone who's listening as well. It's so funny, Tiara, to hear you say that, because I think when you were saying that, I was thinking that you and I, I've never said this to you, but it just dawned on me that you and I probably get a very similar compliment, which is, oh my, but you're, you're just kind of going through, like, it doesn't look like you're stressed. And, and, and and I don't know if that's just part of the HR leader uh, core strength or superpower, right? Where it doesn't ever look like it feels, but one of my colleagues recently, I, I, I completed this presentation in this big project and he was like, you're a swan. And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, from here up, maybe that's why I'm dressed in black and white, but he's like, but from here up, it's like, it's all good. But below the surface, it's like, you know, you're just paddling and, and, and staying afloat. And I was like, I'll take swan. Someone else did call me a duck for the same reason, but I'm going to stick to the, the swan. I can yeah, I sounds much better. I can, <laughs> I relate to that so much. I've, I don't know what, I think I was hanging out with a group of friends one time and uh, everyone was going around and kind of like sharing their favorite thing about each person. And one of my friends told me that I'm always calm and collected and I always just seem like I have it together. And in my head, I was like, that is not the case. I am definitely a swan. Like internally, there's like so much turmoil. I'm like, what is going on? Like constant chaos. But yeah, I think uh, just acknowledging that we all have that inner chaos going on. And even though it may seem like we're good and everything's great, you know, we're all we're all, you know, battling the same battle. Right. And to segue into this conversation, I mean, how long did it take to schedule this? Not that doesn't need to be answered, but, (laughs) you know, that's a good indicator for us. 
Yeah. But but even then the the ease and grace how the at least you know from my perspective I agree with the your colleagues like the the ease and grace in which a conversation topics kind of came together you make the process seem easy but it it's hard work and you know I'm grateful thanks Ciara for for just mentioning that cuz it's tough out there and uh, people are struggling and it doesn't seem like things are getting easier. And so having community and being able to be vulnerable and to be honest about these things, I, I feel is really, really important. And as I kind of model, I try to model the behaviors that I, that I would love that I want to instill in, in my daughters. It's, it, it, it's hard. It uh, you may see it like a smile here, but uh, what you can't see are the 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 arguments I'm having with my daughter for you know they're preteens now, so it's like oh my goodness, I'm no longer the superhero dad, and it's like I can't I can't seem to understand or get anything right now. So so that's the the zone I am in my life. But we I know we have a lot we want to talk to y'all about, and so in reflecting and preparing for for this conversation, you know I've. I've been in the workforce for a while and, um, you know, I remember in the knots getting into starting my career in HR and back then the, the buzz and what everyone that was in, well, at least in the, the, the groups I was running with back then it was the, the goal was I want to work for a big brand and think the GEs and Six Sigma and PepsiCo and P&G and some of our listeners may not even know some of the things that I just rattled off. But if you wanted to work for a big company and you had big aspirations in HR, then you had to work for one of these big brands. And there was a perception that you had big company HR people and you had small company HR people. And then the market shift shifted as it does in the 2010s and the whole startup trend kicked off and unicorns and hyper growth companies, you know, became what everyone was looking to be involved with. And as, as it happens, what was once kind of the hot desirable thing is now old and stodgy or became old and stodgy. And then it was all about working for these nimble, rapid growth startups and getting that experience. And now it, it seems like the market is a little different, is bucketing HR leaders based on like what type of rocket ship that you've been a part of. Are you a hyper growth person or normal growth? And so what I want to talk about with you two, because you have very different experiences, similar, but, but also very different. And, uh, you know, is there any truth to the belief that you're either or you're either a small company HR person or a big company HR leader or or whatever other label you want to apply do do these labels matter you know what are what are your thoughts on on the question do you want to go first Sierra I guess I can since I've I've worked at GE for those old enough who wanted to work there. I worked at a startup before that, then at GE, then back to startups. So maybe my answer is not going to be super surprising. But when you ask Stephen, is there any truth? I mean, all stereotypes start from a truth that someone experienced. But as we know, all stereotypes can be overapplied and can lead to bias and, and wrong decisions about things. So for me, I do think that's a stereotype. I know that there are a lot of people who do identify with either 
they like a small company or a big company. Every time that I've switched jobs personally, when I've asked for different types of advice from different people in my network, that's often been something that came up from people unprompted because it's never been a question that I asked. And people really ask me, are you a big company person or are you a small company person? And I've started saying, you know, there's different things that make me happy and excited about the work. And there's different things that I vent about over a glass of wine that drive me absolutely crazy. Those are different, but on balance for me, it's the same. I don't have a preference between one or the other. What about you, Marari? Um, I do, by the way, agree with you that they are a stereotype. I think one, um, one thing to keep in mind as I've given advice and, and also taken advice is it really just depends what you're trying to get and what phase of your career you're in, what would be a benefit to you, right? So I worked, I, my, the majority of my career has been in financial services. However, I did spend a stint of time in a startup and the lessons and learnings were completely invaluable, right? The innovation, the probably most uniquely or probably most different for me was the stakeholder engagement with the C-suite and so forth. That was just completely unparalleled. However, that isn't for everybody, right? I would say for me personally, I've grounded my career in making sure that I have to some degree exposure to generalist work that I can grow and, and, and sort of stack on the skills that I want. And then the other piece would be the global component, which we talked about when we when we met before, where those those two things are a top priority to me more than being a big company HR person or a younger or less populated company. But I do think phases of your career and really maximizing what you can get out of both situations, because some of the big companies have really good resources when it comes to training, right? And I and, and Sierra, we talked about this a long time ago, but there were a lot of there were a lot of resources like CEB and other things that GE gave you access to that from a resourcing perspective, a smaller startup company just doesn't have tens of thousands of dollars to support on an annual basis their employee with pre-populated training, right? However, if you're the kind of person that can manage your career and learn, learn while you're at the job, then you'll be equally as successful in, in a smaller organization. It really just depends on the phase that you're in and what you're trying to get to. I think probably more importantly for people is getting to that question. Like regardless of the size of the company, the stage of the company in terms of whether they're a startup or, or listed, right? What is it that you are trying to get out of your particular journey and who can offer that to you? Yeah, I, I think those are all great points. And I agree with, with what, what's being said. You know, I, we launched the modern people leader, you know, Daniel had this belief in, in 2020 in the midst of the pandemic, like, wow, I've worked in HR tech, but this seems different. Things are changing. And we're like at the beginning of a really exciting time in HR. And I think that hypothesis that Daniel had was, was absolutely correct. And I'm so glad I joined him on this journey, but it has been a time of change. And I think the importance and the demand for people leaders um, 
his his increase. Do y'all think that that's changed the way that HR leaders are being recruited, and not just the the top job, the Absolutely. chief people officer, the CHRO, but just like if you're open to work and you're in a recruiting function or you've led a talent acquisition team, you know, has the game changed? You know, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. I, I think it has. <laughs> um, I think what's expected of people has changed, and I think actually. And I'll let Sierra talk about this because she's actively running a team. But I think that even when you look at the job market of things that are available, they literally did not exist 20 years ago. Employee engagement specialist. There are all of these functions that actually weren't part of your traditional human resources work, right? I do think that Agility is something that is key for everything that you do within HR and trying to come into a structure. And I, and I was recently talking to someone I mentor about this, but trying to come into a structure and thinking that you're going to be in a specific role for two years before you move on to something else. I haven't seen that happen. I think now, especially post pandemic, you have to be nimble, you have to be agile and willing to probably dip into areas that you didn't intend to dip into. Like even with talent acquisition, even that, right, which traditionally has very hard KPIs and very hard expectations on quantifying things, that's changed too. But again, I think Sierra probably has more to say on that since she's actively managing and recruiting a team. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with what you said, Murray, and to go back to your point, Stephen, about you and Daniel discussing how the pandemic changes things and does it change what's being looked for when people are hiring people roles, whether that be on our teams, whether that be the head of the people function. First, my personal observation has been that going into the pandemic and to some extent coming into the world as it is today, and some people want to call that post-pandemic, some people don't, but what that underscores is I think it has solidified a lot of fervor in people's beliefs about remote work, about how engagement, many topics. So I don't know if anyone knows a right or wrong, but what's is somewhat disconcerting to me is sometimes people seem to be becoming polarized on different workplace topics in a way that I didn't see before. So I think if we talk about how does that change recruiting people, some people would probably tell you it shouldn't change it. And we're going back to the way that things were. And that was an aberration, et cetera. And some people on the other end of the spectrum, but for the people that are more on the end of the spectrum of like, this has moved and shifted things permanently. I think that yes, probably one of the largest things it's given recognition to is it's natural, especially in a growing company, that you want to benefit people that have seen the challenges and the stage before that you're likely to go through. But the pandemic was a reminder that sometimes things happen that nobody who's currently working today in a similar context has seen. And right. what are the things that are going to get leaders and the entire community at the company through that time? And so to me, that has underscored something that I've always reinforced with my teams, which is like, yes, pattern matching from the past or knowledge, all of that is helpful, but it's not necessary. What's necessary is that we are, Murray said, as agile, right, as possible, as adaptable as possible, that we are resourceful, that we know how to get input, knowledge, et cetera, in an efficient way, help the right people come together to make decisions and then do what needs to be done. So I do think that there are some leaders hiring for the people space who have a greater recognition of that because 
that is what we had to do during the pandemic. And most of us were spending the majority of our time in ways that just had not been envisioned or experienced in, in the workplace in our lifetime. That Yeah, I, I, I just, I, this is an off script question that I threw in and I asked it because I had a friend of mine from the past, it had been a, a few years since we had connected and she reached out to me and she was like, hey, I see you're connected with so-and-so they're hiring for head of talent acquisition like that. As you know, that's what I, that's what I do. And she just went on to share with me all of the struggles that she's having and the challenges. And she was laser focused on this particular role because she happened to be taking her LSAT and, or the LSAT. And she, uh, this was like a legal focused company. And, and she was pointing that out as this is how rough it is out here. Like I'm trying to find a way to differentiate myself. And the fact that like LSAT, <laughs> this is like the, 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 I guess, easiest thing for me to find to really differentiate myself, just kind of underscore like, wow, it, it is harder than I thought out there for, for people that are in, in the people space that are looking for jobs. Yeah, especially for those that are specializing in talent acquisition, really my heart goes out to all of you because the last few years, especially with the growth of hyper growth employers, right? There's been so much opportunity in talent acquisition, so much uh, progression in, in pay ranges and then shut off during the pandemic and then turned back on at a high growth rate and then shut off for most places halfway through 2022 with the kind of VC-backed focus on efficiency and more sustainable growth on a path to profitability. So yeah, that's a particularly hard space. And again, yeah, that's just, you have to be flexible. You have to be adaptable. And it's good that your friend is also finding out what her value proposition is in the space, like matching her own career interests with what she's trying to accomplish. It's it's smart of her to have that strategy. So Ciara, one thing you mentioned was that a lot of these challenges that we've had to tackle the last couple of years have been completely new. Like nobody's had to deal with these challenges ever before. And this is actually something that I was talking about with someone in a prep call that I had earlier this week. So it's somebody that built a program for his company that everyone looked at and they were like, oh, wow, this is a great template for how we can, and I can just say his name. So it's Q from uh, Airbnb. And he was talking about work from anywhere. And he also mentioned several other examples of times where there wasn't like a roadmap or a template for how to do something, but the company had to make quick decisions and they had to figure it out in the matter of like a month or two months, or maybe even quicker. He was just talking through like, his process for for working through these really big changes in such a short span of of time and you know you you're mentioning that when you're hiring for for these roles you're i guess you're kind of looking for people that maybe have like the 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 skill set to be able to be more agile and more nimble is that something that you're looking for like what are some of the the skills that that you're looking for when you're hiring for your people team, Ciara, or, you know, Marari, when you're talking to, when you're advising the HR leaders that they're, that you hear that they're looking for, like in addition so to I'm the hiring, technical side yeah. of the skills. Yeah, no, no. Um, I'll let you, Ciara, but also I, I'm thinking about when I hire, um, I actually recently said to someone, I want someone who has failed at launching an HR program. And I want to hear about 
what happened when they failed. Because when you think about DEI and what you're bringing people into, which is the unknown, someone who's probably rolled out programs with a lot of success has great things to, to share. But what happens when you have to manage a difficult situation and launch something that just wasn't fit for purpose? But I'll let, <laughs> so, so yes, I, for me personally, it is what I'm, I'm looking for is, is agility, but Sierra. Love that, Marari, that the focus on like having that experience of failing. I, I personally, and, and Daniel's heard me preach about this, that I, that that's where I, f- I find the most growth comes from those points of failure. It doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel like I'm growing, but that is where I start to build resiliency. I start to build all these executive type functions, functioning that, uh, that, that you need in business. And so I, I love that point. Right. Or, or simply put, when we do something that doesn't hit uh, a right group of people a certain way, what's your response to that client group, that employee group? How are you managing that? Is your entire identity now something for me to fix <laughs> so that you can continue to work and, and do well? But that's that's where that's coming from. Yeah, I agree that people's self-awareness and having, or at least being open to building a level of comfort with failure is really important, especially in the new world of work with how often things change. And whether it's for any type of position in the company that I'm interviewing, if somebody either can't talk about in their greatest success, what are the things that they would do differently if they went back now, what didn't work? Or if you're asking, what have you been told your greatest strengths and development needs are? And some people say they don't have any development needs. And some people just get bad uh, advice on how to interview. And I know that's prevalent. So I try to dig deeper and, and not hold that against anyone, especially if it's candidates with less experience. But I do think there needs to be an openness to being comfortable with that because as you were both saying, when we're in new situations that nobody knows how to do it before, and even when you're in situations that are similar to things that have happened in business before, uh, failure is going to happen. And it's how do you deal with that? How do you recover from that? Do you do it quickly? Do you have practice with it, um, et cetera? Yeah. When I was at at Humu, I, I was on like the culture interview panel. So I was doing quite a bit of these interviews. And one of the questions was, what's one piece of feedback that you've gotten from, from either your boss or a colleague, you know, constructive feedback. And the people that would have answers like, oh, like I care too much or, you know, like very generic answers like those. I was always like kind of a yellow or maybe like a red flag because maybe they didn't have the self-awareness. But I don't know, like I remember answering that question myself and I was like, well, I've been told that, you know, like in marketing, everything's a brief, like, right? Like you have to have a brief for the blog, a brief for the campaign, a brief for this, a brief for the brief. And I'm not good at that type of stuff. Like I just hate doing it. So I remember getting, you know, feedback about that. So like when I was asked that question, like immediately I was like, oh, like I've been told that I could be more structured in how I approach my work. So yeah, I think that people that are willing to, uh, you know, talk about their failures or some of their shortcomings, those are, those are probably the people that you want in your team. I agree. I think something though, that's interesting, that's starting to happen a bit in some interview stories that I'm hearing about and might be part of kind of the polarization of beliefs about the workplace that I mentioned earlier is you seem to have some people who are most doubling down on, there's always a right way to do things, uh, you have to work on your development needs and make them go away. 
and other people saying we need more forgiveness with ourselves. And this is one of the big learnings of the pandemic. And we need to think about the impact on marginalized communities who had to go through uh, way more challenges than people who have more privilege. And so you start to see some difference driven possibly to those beliefs and how people try to answer interview questions. So I think it does require kind of asking a level deeper going into it and seeing what people's willingness is to communicate with and work with people, right, who might see that a little bit differently from them and not just following one of the two kind of cultural templates on each side. With, with that, Sierra, like you hit exactly what I was thinking, which one of the things that's incredibly challenging for the people who are interviewing is figuring out when they're going into the interview, what line of thinking does the person that they're going to interview with is on, right? Because there's a call for more transparency. There's a call for more accountability on both sides of the equation, the employer and the potential candidate, right? I find also with with, um, with HR in particular, probably more than before, a couple of people that I've spoken to recently have told me that their technical skills have come into play in roles that they never have had before in terms of HR, like what does, um, can you model out some remuneration pieces, all of these technical skills that perhaps we're just not, we're probably in my industry, part of the investment professional group or, or the more technical group, not in the people functions. And so there's this need for companies to hire well, and therefore they want more transparency, they want more accountability. But when you're going into the room, how do you know where the company lies in terms of their flexibility for transparency, like the transparency on showing that you work through the problem, like which company wants you to give them an answer and which one wants you to show you the work to the answer? Like, how does that even happen? Yeah, no, it's a good reflection. And it's hard because not everybody is in such a privileged situation that they feel that they can answer interview questions really openly and honestly, even though for me, right, having been in HR for almost 21 years now, it's like, if I would even take an interview, then it's like, I'm just going to tell you how I work. And if you don't give me a job offer, it's okay. But I have to remind myself, people have different personal situations. And so people do uh, want to know how to handle that. And yeah, I mean, it's a totally different, uh, podcast topic, but how we interview and what are ways to reduce bias in interviewing. But the fact that at the end of the day, it's not a science, right, is a huge yeah. topic in and of itself. And then I think on the flip side for the candidates, I think I can't remember who we were talking to recently. It was on one of our recent episodes, but the 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 question of like, you know, what should candidates be asking the company on these interviews to sort of um, vet out like what the culture is like. And I think the question that Stephen or the example that he gave, a good question that candidates can ask is what's one, what's one thing that you would improve about Dashlane and why? Like, give me an example of why you think that you could improve that. And the, the companies that can, that are open and willing to answer those questions likely are more transparent, probably have like, you know, uh, more psychological safety versus the companies who give what feels like a generic response to that question. Like they're giving a canned response to that question every time they get it. Yeah. I would say though, that especially in a lot of growth companies, people are probably not trained or have not discussed how to answer that question. So you're going to get That's a lot true. of variability, even within the same company, just yeah. as to like 
someone might be caught off guard. Oh, I'm nervous. How should I answer that? Should I say what I'm really thinking? Is it too much? Um, or is more comfortable with being transparent? So yeah, it can be interesting to ask that question also of several people because you're not going to get the same answer I would guess. Yeah, true. So we we recently had Josh Burson on the show. And one thing that we touched on that was really interesting was just talking about the past. Like he walked us through the last few decades and some of the impactful events that he's seen over the years that, that have changed the HR space. But today I thought it would be fun to talk about some of his predictions for, for 2023 and the future. And um, well, I just want to check, have you all had a chance to take a look at some of these predictions? I looked at it broadly, um, okay. but yeah. So yeah, one- that was a, a great episode with with Josh. And yeah, I know there's a lot of detail also available. So I admit, like, Murray, I've looked at like the, the summary version of that. But yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, same. I've, I've looked at the summary. But one thing, one of his predictions. That a lot of nodding out, for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the things that jumped out to me was that we're going to move beyond employee experience to people sustainability. And when I first read that, I was like, what does people sustainability mean? And I think the way that he explained it was that things like DEI, benefits, health and safety, and employee experience are all sort of clustering around the concept of people sustainability. And um, as I was reading this, this insight, all I could think about, or this prediction, all I could think about was something that we've heard from former guest Darren Murph that he says over and over that the future of work will be defined by the future of living. And it kind of sounds like they're saying the same things, but just curious as you're, you know, uh, sort of skimming through the report, was there anything that jumped out to y'all? Yeah. I mean, for me, and I guess, because I've, I've chosen to concentrate my career on diversity at the moment, part of that decision actually was because I agree with his first prediction that diversity is expanding. And the, the, the piece that's interesting to me and in, I, I, I want to keep this as concise as possible, but the, the key that I would like to see solved or thought about is it's happening from a people coming into the workforce perspective, but what are organizations doing for that transitional period of, and this is specifically related to inclusion and the concept of inclusion, but what can be done around inclusion to exist in worlds that we were not trained to be in, myself included, right? With my own diverse identities, when people are, when I talk about our internal targets and what we're hoping to accomplish, one of the things I tell people up front, and and this is probably my conversation with the senior leaders of this organization, the world that we are aiming to be, you and I have never lived in. We've never lived, if these targets get accomplished, which they will, because we're putting proper strategy behind them, we've not lived in this particular environment. So what about our culture? What about our, and maybe actually to your your point on sustainability, looking at that full picture, what about the way that we are has to change to sustain this environment and go past targets? and past even counting who's here and who isn't here, right? So that resonated with me because I do believe, and again, this is part of the decision for me to move from my generalist HR space into specifically DEI, is that this is a space that's here to stay and will actually 
there was something I was reading recently that was talking about the fact that people who are, um, and I'm moving away from the Gen Z conversation, but people who are coming into the workforce who are not here yet <laughs> and who are younger in the workforce quite simply won't even work for companies that don't have a vocal and active participation in diversity. That tells me everything I need to, <laughs> to know about what I'm doing. But yeah, so that part resonated with me. A lot of it actually did. Um, the employee experience uh, part, remote working, and I actually want, I cannot wait because it will happen. I can't wait to live in the space where we're not even using the word hybrid or remote. We're just really focused on output <laughs> and it's not, it's just the way that we work, right? So. Yeah, and I, I think somewhat related to that on the, the DEI space, it can be difficult for leaders who felt that there was a sudden change after the Black Lives Matter movement in the U.S. and the global reactions to that and how they should make DEI part of their personal leadership conversations, their personal work days, et cetera. And you have some people who are saying, oh, that was a pandemic trend. And now our investors are forcing us to get back to business. Now we don't have time to spend time on those type of things. So I think it's it's part of education, which obviously Marari is making a you know, way bigger impact than I am and with so many portfolio companies. But even for those of us who are just within a small tech company like I am, it's how do you educate leaders that, okay, what is DEI actually about? How do we embed it as much as possible into all of our practices? And sometimes that can be tough in the organization because you have so many different stakeholders, including every person that joins the company, who, as Murray said, now people joining the company, especially those in the younger age groups, tend to be more and more passionate about it. And everybody speaks up on how they think the company should handle it. And that does make it challenging for leaders, or sometimes leaders hear suggestions or approaches that to them sound more suitable for a nonprofit. They're not sure how they can align that with the business goals and the value to the investors. So I think that's a big part of our role to help bring all of that together. And I do think that that needs to align and kind of start to move in a, in a sustainable way. And you asked, um, Daniel, what else kind of specifically stood out to us from Josh Burson's predictions? so many things. And the people space is such a multifaceted thing. I think of like at least 200 different things every one of my work days. So hard to choose, but probably I would pick out to talk about kind of what Marari was saying about the talk about hybrid work and do we need that distinction? What does hybrid work mean? How do we do it? And I thought it was interesting when I saw a CEB executive report that only 4% of CEOs uh, surveyed a few months ago plan to reduce remote work this year. But I think there are some investors who, especially seeing the news out of Amazon, et cetera, think that it's different. And what's really interesting to me is sometimes what we speak about and what we read drives a trend. And I'm reminded of last year to use kind of unrelated example. My former CEO had sent me a piece, I believe from the Wall Street Journal that said companies are reducing their parental leave. And he said, have you heard what? of this trend? <laughs> And I was like, no, <laughs> but if people write about it, they might cause that trend inadvertently. Um, so I think there's also a responsibility kind of uh, in the press and in what we choose to talk about with others and, and how might that change 
trends that are affecting companies and people's daily life at work. So the one, I guess, uh, common thread between both of y'all's responses is that we're aiming to live in this world that we've never lived in before. So I guess in, in y'all's opinion, like what does this this future world look like? Not even like future of work, like what does this future world world look like? I do, so I'll answer that, but I, I, I do want to say with, um, and actually it'll, I'll, I'll marry the answers because Sierra, I've also been a victim of trend and articles like, oh, do you see that this is the first time we have one in five leaders? I forgot what it was today. It was like one in five leaders of uh, FTSE 500 companies or people of color. I'm like, who's getting this? Like, where is this coming from? Right. And how does that um, distract people from from the agenda for what we're trying to do? It could be really distracting, but I think it calls for a lot of collaboration and transparency from companies on what it is that they're doing to achieve this different world, Daniel. And to bring it to, to your question, what does this look like? I think it looks like more transparency, more accountability, and more accountability to things that are larger than just your place at work. And so... What I mean by that, and, and I, I remember this actually from the Burson report, I, there was some mention on access to water, access to, like, people are becoming, and I hate to say this term, and I, I'm apologizing in advance, but like, proper global citizens, where, you know, your job and the things that you do and the way that you drive impact is past the eight hours of four-day work week if you're in one place or five-day work week. Like your your place on this earth is much bigger than that. And so that's what I think it's going to look like. And I think what's going to drive that is corporate level transparency and accountability. Because I do believe to to dispel to Sierra's point on the, the trends and the myths that drive what people are doing. What's your, oh, look, this company's reducing parental leave or whatever it may be. If there is proper transparency of like, okay, this is actually what happened. <laughs> this did not happen, right? And we the direction that we're moving into is this direction of holistic responsibility our maternity leave needs to be better or it needs to be improved. Like it needs to be with, it, it needs to be ben benchmarked appropriately as opposed to holding on to the pieces of data or to the pieces of news that serve your particular individual belief. I think that's a really important point. And especially for those of us, it can be easy if you're taking in news sources, say just from other people, peers, or just from a couple of sources to realize that you might be hearing a totally different viewpoint on employee news than perhaps your CEO, right? Than perhaps members of the board, et cetera. So I think also broadening where you get your information from, and even if you're going to see some things framed in a way that you don't like, it's helpful to be aware of it because there are totally opposite discussions happening right now about what the future of the workplace will be. I, I think that's the only thing I want to say on what will the future look like is like, I don't know. I love to watch old archive footage now in French, since I'm learning the language of like people predicting the future from years ago and you see all the <laughs> things that are wrong. So after that, I'm like, I'm not going to predict the future, but I'm going to help my team and the leaders we work with to adapt to it, to remain open-minded and to, to try to make whatever it becomes a success. Right. I think Sarah, like um, what I'm thinking is, 
I think what we all probably share in common is that it would be when we think post pandemic and we think future, you said this earlier, Sierra, where what we went to through this episode was something that none of us have experienced in our lifetimes. And if we don't learn from them, if we don't leverage those learnings, then what have we done? Right. And I think that's probably where people are going with like, what is the future? It's like, let's leverage everything that we have learned but I, I want to see even disruption in like policies. Like when you think about like employee mobility, for example, like hiring people in different countries, hiring people across the globe, due diligence on people, background checks, all of it. Like we need a complete disruption on how we look at those things in order to successfully really use the opportunity of the talent pools that are, are available to us, the, the, the talent and, and innovation that is available across different industries and, and, and different sectors, right? Like, so I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I, 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 I do feel like there's room for a little bit more disruption. Absolutely. And I think that ties back a little bit and hopefully we'll hear it in more detail, the conversation with, with Q from Airbnb on Airbnb, even as a very large company where people would assume they can't move faster than the society or the law said, like, we do have to do something so that people can work from anywhere. And especially with the, the mission of their company and how it works. And I really appreciate how they tweeted about it transparently, simply, quickly, and a lot of smaller tech companies following in their footsteps adopted that. But same as with people who are employing people in other countries through employees of record, such as Oyster HR, and I know you had Kim on the show in the past or some of their competitors. If you look at the way that the laws are actually written today in some of the countries and whether that matches up to what the companies have decided they need to do, the answer is not yet. So as Marari is saying, there is there is also policy change that is needed. That is, you know, employers are doing what we can to adjust, but governments also kind of need to step in and do their piece for the future of work as well. Yeah, I love, <clears throat> excuse me, this part of the conversation. I started my career in global mobility. <laughs> and so I always, those are like my roots. And I love what companies like Oyster HR and, and their competitors are doing. I love the the more global orientation and the way we all work. I I think that is a future that I, I want to be a part of. Um, you know, the the only thing to add, and I, unfortunately, I don't think we're we're going to have time to to dig into it. But Ciara, you mentioned you've mentioned polarization a few times, and sometimes I fear that this kind of polarized state of society is preventing us from from moving forward as fast as we could as fast as we should in my opinion and so i feel like that's got to be something that we find a way to work around because it's it more and more it feels like it's either you know it's either a or it's b it's just very binary the way that that um that it feels that people are reacting to to trends and and maybe it's just the way that content and social media, like these are some of the negative consequences that we're still still dealing with. Because I guess, you know, if we think about it, some of these uh, these tools and in, in the ways of interaction are still relatively new in the broader sense of timeline of humanity. But it feels like we get we get caught in that web of polarization or or the 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 negativity of that polarization. And so hopefully we'll we'll find a way of of moving past that. 
Yeah, no, I think you're right. And Marari's lived in more countries than me, but it's something that seems consistent across the different countries that I'm working in and uh, living in as well. So yeah, we, we have to just help within our workforces, people to adapt to that and make sure that we can still continue to work globally and uh, find a path. Well, we have like five other topics that we wanted to, to dive into with you all. And unfortunately, we're not going to be able to, uh, we're, you know, the, it's funny how quickly the hour, hour goes by. Um, but before we, we wrap up with our closing questions, Marari, is there anything that that's top of mind? I, I feel like you have this unique, uh, perspective, this unique role that allows you not only to do your own job within your own company, but you also, you're seeing what was happening with, with a really diverse set of portfolio companies. And so any trends or, or things that are top of mind based on um, the perspective that you have? Yeah. So, so actually based on this conversation, because um, what I would like to see is um, ways of measuring um, inclusion. So when I think about the portfolio companies, what are some accountable, accountable, not, not the right word, sorry, reliable, reliable sources of looking at how we can influence inclusion across a very, and when I say diverse, I don't mean the, the, their individual population, but the actual industries, the sectors and the regions that they're located in across a very diverse portfolio of organizations. What are the key, um, what are the key metrics that we can look at when we're looking at inclusion? So we track like NPS scores and we collect data from our portfolio companies, but what can really truly give us insight on to bring it to the person study, like what they're actually putting in practice and what's actually moving the needle. And you just said it, Stephen, like, you know, there's so much that is um, nuanced that we have yet to see whether or not they add value proposition. So the, so the real thing that's top of mind for me is if I say, hey, portfolio company, we're looking at your MPS scores, what level of people in your particular organization consider you to be a fair employer, right? Is tracking that over time really adding value or getting value from that portfolio? So as a private equity company, how does the value prop to what we track on inclusion, how can we actually measure the quantifiable bit? So can we say we've you know, given better resources for this organization to reach inclusion and therefore it brought in 2x of returns, right? So that's top of mind for me. That's probably, again, a bigger conversation, but it ties into everything that we've been talking about today. Love that. And you know that is a, a broader conversation. And uh, Sierra, I'm not going to forget about you. When you think about the year ahead, it, it's crazy that we're almost a quarter into the year. But with what's left of 2023, what what excites you? What what are you looking forward to? That is hard because there are so many new ideas in my head. Working with the new CEO, a relatively new chief product officer. So again, it's how do we integrate all the new ideas in the company, the new things happening in the market with our competitors, in the world, in the desires and needs of everybody who's in the Dashlane community, right? So 
Uh, we'll see still processing, but I guess getting through that and seeing what comes of it and trying to do that in a way that hopefully leads to the success of Dashlane, which I joined because I was a customer first. So this is a product that I want to always live really attached to it and, and for the people so that they can feel that we're moving towards a better uh, working life. Well, with that, I know that we all have hard stops. So that gets us to our final tradition in the modern people leader and uh, one word close. What's one word or phrase that uh, as you reflect on the conversation we just had, you want to close things out with? For me, community. So thank you. Uh, It's great that we can have this chat together and and it it feels a bit weird to share it in a podcast, but hopefully it helps people. Um, And for me, the word is trust. I already trust. Sierra explicitly, but it's really nice to have a conversation kind of with a, an audience and her and um, just in general, like the, the entire conversation actually around companies, like I, I keep thinking of the word trust. I'm, I'm just going to say, uh, so I'm going to go with the phrase, but my energy is restored. I, I feel like I'm, I was almost back at the beginning of conversation, but there's just something about these group conversations that just brings like a, you know, an added element. And um, I'm feeling good after this conversation. Yeah. And I'm going to go with, uh, with blessed, like the, the fact that on a, uh, on a Thursday morning that we can have a conversation with two amazing individuals like yourselves, like it, uh, we're really, really fortunate. So this is an amazing conversation. Certainly did not disappoint. So thank you so much for carving out time and joining us again uh, and coming back to the Modern People Leader. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Nice to see you both. It's n- great to see Likewise. you as well. Have a great Always rest of your week. You, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for, for tuning in to another episode of the Modern People Leader. We We really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We want to we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can, you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening and, and see you on the next episode.